You're listening to an extended version of the Overboard Show. We're going stateside. We're we're embracing Lee Savage. Hello, Lee. Who is a one of the Yetis? Indeed, and a regular on the station. But it is nice to switch the mic on you and have you the other side. <laughs> yeah, turning tables. What's that feel like? That's yeah, how are you doing, guys? We're doing good. So, Lee, you have talked, I think, over the past two years to, I don't know, tens, if not well, hundreds before, of before people. Before you get there. So, before we, we uh, I was getting who, there. Who is Lee Savage? Yeah. Who is Lee? Who are you? Starting back with you. Um, Where have you Because gone? you are not originally from Florida, uh, although that is now home. And I'm not yeah. sure... You still there? Can you hear me all right? Yeah, we can hear you. We've lost our video connection. I'm getting horrendous interference, but uh, I got the gist of what you're saying. I've interviewed thousands of people throughout my my tenure. Who are you? Where are you from? How did you get involved? Let's start with that. Where where are you from? Because you are not Americano. By origin. So originally with, well, we, me, I'm from uh, the Midlands. um, That would be England. Yeah. Home of the um, Balti. It is actually. Yeah, I, yes. don't, I don't say that lightly. I miss that. I tell you what's interesting. I do miss miss that aspect of it. <laughs> I know that's what everybody when when you speak to a, a, um, a proper English person, and you ask them what they miss about home. There's two things they'll miss. One is bitter, which is a warm, flat beer that the English like to drink, and the second ironically, is Indian food. Isn't that strange? Yeah. And you would have thought that was there were the, there were the two things that you probably wouldn't miss. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah. Bitter, so. I can understand. Bitter <laughs> because it's really an acquired taste and most countries don't bother selling it. Um, so, you know, if you can't get that at home, um, I can understand that. But uh, Indian food... Even though you can go around the world and there's other Indian restaurants and they're still good, um, the English Indian restaurant, yeah, yeah, even it's a I, unique experience. Even as an Irishman, I miss that of England. So, <clears throat> well, I was on a rant the other day with an American about American beer and how and why British people have warm beer, Ooh. and my argument was that English good English beer can be drank warm because it tastes good. American beers, your Bud Lights, your Coors Light, your Natty Light, your Miller Light, your they're, Corona they're Light. They're not beers. They're, they're light oh, things. They're, got, they're light things, and they taste awful. And the only way you can palate them is have them at ice cold. So it numbs your taste buds, and you can get it past your, your gullet quickly. How did that, how did that conversation go for you? Great, I think I won it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so the curry, the, the <laughs> and the warm beer. Yeah. Um, and any other favorites that you miss? Your mother. <laughs> yeah, mum and dad. But no, I don't think I really miss anything about England. Um, so uh, for a lot for the longest time, I've always what, wanted to come to America. So what brought you to the states? Dream, so to speak. Um, um, so my dad started a lighting company. Um, back in the 80s with a super yacht designer and 
he was doing a lot of lighting for Fedship, Lurson, Abking. And as a kid, we'd come home from school um, and <laughs> I guess it was slave labor, work, <laughs> make the lights on the kitchen table. And so from about 10 years on, 10 years old, I was very much um, inducted into the super yacht world. Um, and that eventually developed into making LED lights that went underwater. And we started an underwater company, underwater lighting company. And then that brought me to America. Huh. And being Midlands, it, you know, the majority of people we talk to, I would say, probably had sailing somewhere in their background. They went sailing with their dad or they'd go on a dinghy. No. I'm thinking Midlands, that was less accessible to you growing up. Yeah, no. And you were also we busy at the kitchen did. table. Yeah, we were too busy making lights. <laughs> <laughs> it was three pounds an hour. That no, wasn't bad. bad. <laughs> that's not bad. For a wee nipper. I know. Oh, said, my phone and myself look for a job. Um, Probably fine. That was above minimum wage back then. Hey, you're doing okay. And that, better that, pocket money than we got. And then you you headed to America. Did you go to America with the work with lighting? Yeah. Or? So we um, we started that company in 2004, and in 2007 we opened an office in uh, America in Fort Lauderdale, Lauderdale Marine Center. Uh-huh. And for about five years, I um, ran that side of the business. Okay, is that still up and going? Are you still involved in that, or I'm not involved with it in any way. Yeah, but um, is the family still? still does it still go no. on as a family business? No, we're all out. Um, you saw the the ideas of grandeur got a little bit too big for everybody, and uh, <laughs> one thing led to another, and uh, we all moved on. Okay, mm-hmm. and so is that kind of where so how, how between two, two yetis, yetis was born? How did two yetis start off then? Um, Move it. Take us from the light. Take us from the light into the darkness here. (laughs) See the way I did that? That's a radio thing. Um, Yeah. yeah. Well, not to go too deep into my failures. um, Have you got a couch? Lie back on the couch and and let's talk about that. Uh, That gives you good experience, Lee, as it does us all. Uh, Yeah, not at this early in the morning. Okay. Early morning therapy, I, get your day off to a good start here. Yeah, after the lighting, we um, I tried a number of different ventures uh, here in America, none of which really panned out. And we're at the Miami show in 2017, 2017 and um, we were manning a booth um, for a, uh, another company my brother is sales representative for. And we were talking amongst friends, and I've always kind of regarded the marine industry as an industry you sort of fall into. It's not something that you specifically choose to go into. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't go to university and learn, uh, you know, get a degree or a PhD in something, and then go right. I'm going into the marine industry. It always seems that people either do it as a retirement option or as a second business or there's Moving nothing from else to do. Seed to land, and you know, wanting yeah. to way, a way out of the army. Um, yeah, so I've got those four. Th- there's four theories I always say to people of how you get into the industry. Um, it's you've put, you've served either in the military, in the military, the navy, or the um, army. 
Um, you have um, grown up with sailing all your life. Um, oh, I can't remember the third one, but the fourth one is the Yacht Report. They're responsible for a lot of people. The Yacht Report? As the in- Yacht Report. Making Martin's it sound glamorous. So many thousands of kids over the years. They've all now spread. There is also a total accident. You know, we got into it over a potato peeler. Um, so there are the, the kind of the odd, um, totally by accident things that happen. You end up, I think it's more being in yachty centric areas where um, as an expat, you're kind of trying to diversify and look at other options. We weren't even doing that. We just wanted to buy a potato peeler. Um, actually, it, it started with, with the toddler chasing a dog who was attached to an American who was attached to a, a it's like the woman who ate the spider. had supplies, you know, supplies for soup yachts, for kitchen stuff, mm. a very fancy kitchen shop. And a uh, problem with the computer. And she was married to a captain, hence Dave's first job on a super yacht. Yeah, long story. Uh, which In we a very shortened version. Because this <laughs> is all about you, not about us. So let's move back to Lee. But that was the premise of the show. Um, we started asking people how they got into the industry. And the stories were great. And we found that people uh, had chosen their path completely against what I thought. So uh, we turned the camera on and started filming it because it was really interesting and we just happened to be sitting between two yetis and uh, that was completely uh, accidental like Like somebody had just brought them to cool their beers or whatever for the day yeah because one had water in one had beers and somebody said oh this is like between two ferns my brother's called zach and so zach galifianakis runs uh, between two ferns and um yeah (laughs) sorry what what's two ferns i don't know who that is Two Ferns is um, a Funny or Die series um, by Comedy Central. Is it Comedy Central? I think it's Comedy Central. You're asking me, um, I don't know. And they do spoof interviews with uh, celebrities. So uh, Zach okay. Galifianakis would ask them the most inappropriate questions. It's all very staged, um, yeah. but they're sat on a very basic stage on a set with two ferns. By the as in fern trees? As in fern trees. Okay. And... The premise of it is gotcha questions. Um, so he, he asked Barack Obama, what did it feel like to be the last black American president? Oh, I think I might have seen, uh, I've seen that. Um, yeah, that went well. So he, yeah, so they did, you know, obviously they've done very well. We're, no, we're nowhere near as prolific. Um, but we started out to not be as... Um, as um, comedy focused but to be more uh jovial more piercing no jovial in a way but more relaxed so you're sitting on a cooler drinking a beer talking about your life most people at a boat show or if they're talking about what they do or their company they're very much focused on the sales pitch Mm -hmm. they're very much focused on the the script and so what we've been trying to do over the last two years is really unveil that and get to the nub of who they are and it is when it works it's sensational because people don't often get asked about themselves they get the chance to go back in time and start realizing realizing crap i never actually graduated high school do you realize that first job i got that because of this and then i did this and then i went there and oh 
well, this is, this is a very long story. It's like, okay, that's good. That's what we're here for. <laughs> and so it just develops, and it's so organic. And, you know, interviews can take five minutes or they can take an hour. It depends on the pace. It depends on the mm. flow. And that's what I've really found fun and interesting. And it's a great way to really get to know somebody. It's- I'm sick and tired of going to all the cocktail parties and, hey, how's the weather? Oh, yeah, how are your feet? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This, was, this was just a way of just instantly getting real with someone. And, um, yeah, over the last two years, three years, met some fantastic people. And, what's, what's your uh, most memorable, for whatever reason, uh, interview? Um, I, I, is the one that sticks out in your mind? It's or probably the worst three. interview we've ever done. <laughs> That's probably actually it, the one I would gravitate to as well. It was a guy called Adrian. Um, he's Filipino, and he had just come across to America, uh, got married, and started his company. Um, it, it was called Adrian's Five Star Cleaning Service. He couldn't speak English very well. Um, and all he could say is, I clean boat. I clean your boat. I clean boat. And so you'd ask him, oh, great. How long have you been in business? Yeah, I clean boat. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much all it was. He wouldn't let us air it because it didn't really put him in a very um, good light. But two years on, he's now employing, I think, 10 people cleaning boats. Yeah. And it just shows how great America, I know the rest of the world's great, but America really br- brings that entrepreneurial spirit out in people. So we got to speak to a guy who was essentially a deckhand, well, not even a deckhand, he, just, he was a car, a car wash guy, um, to all the way up to you know, billionaire owners. So we, it's kind of a, a, a leveling platform, just like boats are. You know, Everybody who owns a boat has something to converse with so the guy who has a center console could converse with the super yacht owner because they're both out in the water they both speak the same sort of language and when you're sitting on a yeti and you've got a beer in hand it sort of communicates that same level of uh, shared experience and um i, th- I think as well it's an um, equalizer I, one of yeah. the things I have loved, and I think it's equally an experience for you, is me. No, no. you as in Lee, is um, <laughs> about me as in one of those things you loved. Yeah, not on here, babe. Okay. <laughs> is um, <Checking> out. <laughs> moving on. There's a reason this isn't filmed. Are we still, are we <laughs> yes, still, are we still on air? Are we still on air? Um, but it, it it is it it it's having people's stories you know a bit like you we've had from green crew to people working in the industry to people dave's known for years and you get them on air and you you get with a you know how'd you get into yachting or you hear their story and two things a you get to find out all these things about people and hear their stories which However quickly we have evolved as humans and that we we text and we super media, social media and whatever, that that old fashioned sitting down around the fire and telling stories, it's fantastic when you hear the stories that people have. It's different. Like Paolo, for example, there's a guy called Paolo. He's... uh, he uh, manages marinas. He manages one of IGY's marinas. And um, lovely guy. I, I have got ridiculously drunk with this guy on a, on a, on a, on a huge amount of times. Um, 
And we, we, you know, we've done that four o'clock in the morning, hugging each other, telling each other how much we love each other, and will you take care of my children if anything ever happens to me? Conversations. I mean, we, we we've been close, and uh, but then we interviewed him for the station. I'm sure you find this as well. Lee. We interviewed him from the station, and the the amount of time two blokes can hang out and actually not say anything of any value, worth, or depth. <laughs> Is is con- continues to completely mesmerise me, and it sort of ruined me in some ways. Yeah, because I, I can be at parties, I can be at dinners, and people are just talking nonsense, hmm. and I just clam up. I'm just like, I can't do this. Can't do small talk anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I bring a recorder with me now, so I can hide behind that. I was like, hey, tell me, <laughs> tell me about your mother. Um, <laughs> But you know, I, I did an interview with him, and suddenly I'm learning about his university. He's got degrees coming out of every orifice. He's got a biochemistry. Most fascinating guy. Um, and this is a guy in the marine industry. It's a guy in the marine industry, and I'm you know yeah. we would hook up at every um, every yacht show. He'd bring buckets of limoncello from Italy, and um, and we, we'd always end up um, yeah we'd we'd always end up spending pretty much all the time together in doing whatever we're doing and uh, but then doing the interviews you know through the radio and i'm sure you find it with with uh, two yetis you actually have a conversation and learn so much more about the person um it's a very different approach uh, it's amazing how many people have phds in mm. this industry mm. they don't use them but they have them and uh it's it's a very professional. It, it, somebody said, um, used to work for Mark and Redmond <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> you did? Uh, this indis- uh, no, I did. Oh, the other person. Uh, yeah. um, this other person. And he, he said when he started 20 years ago, he would tell people that he's in the CPR industry and they'd be like, what? Mm. What's that? Mm. Now people are seeking it out. And so mm. there's been a big shift in the last two decades of where it's its visibility has become much more, and I don't know if that's through social media or or what, or it's just the sheer fact that the industry's got bigger. But the professionalism, uh, I speak to a lot of crew trainers, I speak to a lot of lawyers, a lot of uh, management companies, a lot of um, a lot of people who deal with the uh, the administration side of the industry, and the professionalism is. It's right up there. There's, there's always a concern that it's going to get too litigious and too uh, regulated. But it sort of seems like that obviously needs to be hidden because this is a pastime. This is, you know, a rich man's fun time. And yeah, I think, I think even that's changing, though, League. Because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's also, I think, over the last five years or so, been seen um, from the perspective of innovation. Uh, you know, we're trying out a lot of new uh, fuel sources, energy sources, so, little uh, source, sources, I can say the word still, um, in bio, using biofuels with uh, also bringing in solar energy. Or um, ecotourism, you know, trying yeah. to bring tourism yeah, in a positive way to places that otherwise wouldn't have it and i one of the i equally in in ireland if you say you work in the super yacht industry they go what do you know that's actually an industry or that must be such a niche market and then you explain well 
actually, if you look throughout the world between Asia, the States, you know, the med, it, it's a huge industry. If you look overall, not just who's employed on boats, but all the subsidiary companies, the marinas, the companies well, that where feed into it, it's, it's a huge industry. It's, it's the, so this is the mission now statement, because between two years we accidentally fell upon it, and we love what we're doing, and people tell us that they love what we do, but there has to be a drive why we're doing it. And we sort of realize what we're doing by showing the humanity, the humanity in, the, in the industry and the people behind the super yachts. What we hope we can do over the next five, ten years is dispel this, not, it's not a myth, but dispel the stigma that owning a super yacht is a bad thing. Over here, I've just been on a trip to Washington, D.C. Uh, with uh, about 300 uh, people from across the country. And we all descended on uh, Congress. And we went around the senators' offices imploring on them what a positive impact the industry has on the country and trying to dispel this dirty word of super yacht to be a good thing. Now, it was quite interesting talking to Republican senators and Democratic senators. They both get it. They both know that it's a great thing for their individual states. But the Democrats can't be seen to be saying that, <laughs> whereas Republicans can. And so what we're hoping is that over the course of the next five, ten years, as we start really showing the human aspect of the industry, we'll show that it's got this fantastic reach. And I always go back to my hometown, um, which is a horrible little, I shouldn't say that. It's a little town in Birmingham. We can't delete that, can we? No, no. <laughs> it's a little town just outside of Birmingham called Hinkley. And Hinkley has, uh, before my dad got into the industry, had no marine businesses. 20, 30 years on now, there's five companies there directly supplying not just the marine industry, but the super yacht industry. Then there's at least 25 to 50 companies supplying them. So from the parts to their, to their clothing, cleaning their toilets, um, leasing out their cars, the restaurants, the homes they own, it goes so far. And so I always, um, when I'm in with somebody and I, I'm in their office and I pick up at like a coaster or something like that, and I say, the industry, the guy who bought, say, the Lurson last year has directly benefited the guy in the Philippines who made this coaster because you couldn't have bought the coaster unless that guy bought the boat. So the ripple effects throughout the entire world are so far-reaching and there's nothing you can buy there's no one single purchase you can a rich person can do in this world that has such a knock-on effect and a lot of people say it's it's the ultimate form of philanthropy how do you say it philanthropy thank you <clears throat> because you're not buying a boat to make money no you know you're going to be losing money but you do it because you love it and you know that by spending one million ten million a hundred million it goes so far and it's a positive thing. And so what I'm trying, what I'm hoping that we do with the show is show that effect. 
not talk about that effect, which everyone's done over the last 10, 15 years, you know, $15 billion impact and 10,000 jobs here and this and that. No, I want to actually meet the people. I want to show them how they work, their families and the, the impact. And it's fascinating as you go around the shipyards here in South Florida, it's all Hispanics, um, Latinos um, and, and black people. You know, it's not toffs. It's not um, white collar workers. It's real people. And so it's been a great experience seeing the industry from another side. Have we got time for this quick uh, yeah. delve down? Wait, you, you've got all the t- we can, we can just keep going with you so for I, the day. I've been shadowing uh, show management, which is now Informer. Oh yeah, how's Chris um, doing? They, is Chris still with them, Mister Fleming? Yeah, yeah. He's. This is what's great is that that's <clears> these people are you know they're <laughs> they're already based here in Fort Lauderdale, but everybody. Knows. <laughs> um. And I, I shadowed them for the last couple of shows and seeing how they, uh, you know, lay the tents and float the docks and run the electrical cables, the air conditioning. Put, it's, it's a production that goes on for maybe six weeks before the show yeah, and gargantuan. about three weeks after the show. It's, it's <clears throat> awe-inspiring hmm. how well orchestrated it is and how well, um, how well it's done. And as an exhibitor in the industry before, I was so caught up in my own bubble. You, you, you go and place your, your, your money for, um, the, for your stand space at, say, at Fort Lauderdale or Palm Beach or Miami or Monaco or wherever it is, months in advance, and then you're working towards that boat show to launch your products and so on. And the boat show isn't inexpensive. It's probably one of the biggest parts of your marketing budget yes. for the year. And so your whole focus as a company is getting to the show. And so in the, in the months and the weeks and the days and the hours getting up to the show, all your, that's just your 100% focus is getting your booth built and made and telling people about it. So when you get to the show and you build it up, you don't see what's going on around you. And it's a whole thing village that's being constructed around you and you never see beyond your little bubble and for the first time i've actually started to see it and the the people who take the garbage out are one of the most important people at the show because they are without them <laughs> it would, it would be, be a smelly affair rivers it would be a smelly affair mm. if it wasn't for the electric electrical guys the ac wouldn't work the whites wouldn't work the boats couldn't turn on if it wasn't for the dock guys the boats wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the management team if it wasn't for the food and beverage service nobody it's amazing mm. seeing it once you get outside of your bubble it costs and so us i did a idea, short though. little expose on it yeah i did a short little three minute expose on it um that's well at the fort lauderdale show last year and it's just so great to actually interact with the people who are building what for what for, for me a boat show is kind of like the heartbeat of the industry it's when you know you've got all these um, moments around uh, the calendar and that is what propels the industry forward every few months there's a new show and there's a new raft of boats being sold and then all the services that follow those those boat sales and um, it was it was truly f- fantastic to see it for the first time through eyes that weren't 
focused on just getting um, a booth built. Yeah. yeah. Or or going to the show walking around. Or just around, having a rosé. But I think... Um, well, that's, that's the other thing. It's, it's amazing. If you just do the show... I've never done the show just as a pedestrian, but it's quite... Um, it's hidden. You never see... Mm. I've got a, so I've, I've done, a quote on the wall. You don't see things until you know what to look for. I think I've done. I've, I've kind of licked every side of the ice pop. I've I've done it as a pedestrian, just visiting. I've done it as an exhibitor. I've done it as uh, setting up the Wi-Fi and supplying the internet for companies. Um, and you've been there just to walk around and promote yourself Been there just to walk around being there as a radio guy <laughs> uh yeah i don't know which one i prefer most but uh, I, I mean they are very much the highlights and you know what i find is how very different the boat shows are too i mean uh flibs we went to when we were launching super yacht radio and i mean it, it's just a totally different experience completely actually, to something like monaco which is a completely different experience to Palma, which is, you know, each of them are very, very different. And that's just a few of them. I mean, there are, you know, as you know, they go from Singapore, the Australian Super Yacht Rendezvous was just on. Everywhere. Genoa, Venice, Russia. Mm. I mean, if you just did boat shows alone, it's a huge industry in itself. Out out of everything, the hardest, the the bit I didn't like most of all, is actually manning the stand during the show. That I found, I, 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 that's the only thing I don't ever want to do again. Um, it's because A, you've got to stand there waiting for people to come along. Um, then you've got to tell the difference between somebody who just wants a free squishy ball. Um, and, and then you, you've got to repeat the same story over and over and over and over again. I found that a bit exhausting. And that you have to be well, stuck there, you know. I we interviewed the sales director for Sea Ray Boats, and his attitude towards boat shows was so refreshing. And he said, "You know, we're selling small boats. We don't know who's going to come by, uh, and everyone's got a Sea Ray story. Everybody started boating at some point on a on a Sea Ray." And he says, "We we recognise we have that uh, not authority, but we have that responsibility for the industry." And everybody who comes on our stand is important. And it doesn't matter if it's a 15-year-old kid or it's an 80-year-old guy. Everybody, not necessarily as a potential customer, but everybody is important. Mm-hmm. And he said, if, he ever, if you're ever talk, at a show and you're talking to somebody wearing the same color shirt, you're wasting time. And he had like ten or five, nine or ten different um, rules for his guys on the stand so if you're talking to somebody with the same color shirt as you're wearing i you you're just talking amongst yourselves ah okay gotcha 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 quick off Um, the mark there no i didn't know i didn't know (laughs) (laughs) if and so he was just the way he the way he approached boat shows was so refreshing because it it is normally that you're you're standing on you're sitting which is a cardinal sin eating which is even worse on your own stand, waiting for somebody who's walking by to go, oh, and engage with you. Instead, they had such a different way of, do, of doing it. They really wanted to talk and engage with everybody. And I know at Sea Ray, and if you're manning a stand for a super yacht company, you definitely probably don't want to engage everybody. But it was just so refreshing hearing somebody with that kind of drive. Um, 
But it, it makes a huge impression as well. I mean, there was an article about this coming up to the Monaco show saying people invest a huge amount in boat shows and the setting up and their stand and the and you know everything they have going on but sometimes they don't do the investment in the training of the people that are going to be standing at that stand and that in some ways is the biggest experience it doesn't matter how pretty your stand is the person you meet and uh, can I just say remembering flibs I met oodles of people the one I particularly remember was the one who fubbed me <laughs> so mm. you know I introduced myself do you I, know what fubbing is? I go to give my card and the guy beside her just sort of looks at me, oh, listens yeah, for 30 yeah, yeah. seconds, and then goes on his phone. Yeah. <laughs> and I just went, wow, you know, that's just rude. <laughs> but well, it I stood out, do... you know, more than, than the other ones who were very nice, and we had lovely conversations. Um, well, this is, I, I remember I did a boat show back in 1997. I think it was one of my first Fort Lauderdale boat shows. And there was a French guy that came by our stand every morning uh, with a rose for my mum. And he was huge. He was, you know, in American terms, like 300 and 350 pounds, which is like, like 20 stone. Sounds like marine, guy. marine life, more than Big anything. guy. And he had um, a polo shirt. It always seemed like it was the same shirt. Bobbled to hell. He was always disheveled, and his head, and he looked like a mess. And every morning, he would bring a rose to my mum. I think his name was Philippe or something. And somebody came by one day and was like, do you have any idea who that guy is? He was a billionaire. Uh-huh. And that's one of the great things about the American shows, is you have no idea yeah. who is in the crowd. One of my other quotes is, billionaires... They walk amongst us. <laughs> yeah, the, and so, uh, for me, the difference in American shows to European shows definitely is that the American shows are, you know, Hawaiian shirts, uh, Bermuda shorts, and flip flops. Massive lemonade. Really get away with that. <laughs> Massive lemonades, and it's you know, fa- it's a very family orientated event. I think mainly because they just want the numbers. But with the Mon- uh, with the like Monaco and Antibes, it's a much more sophisticated affair. It would seem. And, and price of the tickets, you know, look at price of Monaco tickets. It's pretty professional. You well, know. The, the informer, informer trying to price people out. Uh, they they don't want the day trippers really. To be honest, yeah. it, not so the Palma show. The Palma show is definitely a, a day out for everyone and come and see the sailboats and stuff. But things like Monaco are. I mean, they're upping the price again this year. It they're, was, they're, I think, 150 euros per ticket. And now it's up to 250 or 300. So it, it's or not something unless you're really into the industry, you're gonna fork out for. Yeah, the Mo- Monaco don't want the 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 people just going to look at boats. They want to push it more to business. So and that's fair enough. I mean, that's Monaco's purpose. Mm-hmm. And I, I think for us at Between Two Yetis, we're starting to see that we're a great discovery point for people for the industry. So if you type in, you know, Lurson and you watch uh, the interview with uh, Tim, 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 Timothy ha- Hamilton, oh, Timothy Hamilton, you'll learn about one of the greatest boat builders in the industry from a very um non-visual you know there's no music there's no <laughs> grand videos of 
super yachts and tenders and bits and bits fly. It's actually talking about the the ethics and the history of the company and what sets them apart. And it's a way of discovering the industry in ways that you wouldn't necessarily find yourself having done. Um, but I think I think people's stories are a very powerful tool. You know, it, it, they are. We have so much information thrown our way, and there's quite frankly a lot of, and I'm sure you know it from a lot of the press releases. You get a lot of the super yacht news. It's very similar. It's not very people orientated. And yet, as humans, what binds us to people more is the personality, is the relationship, is the story behind it. Um, equally, we've talked with Lursons, and, and one of the resounding memories of Lursons for me now is how they're such a family-run company, how they run as a company. They're, you know, the, the people's stories are a very big part of the relationship we build with that company. And I think, um, in some ways, the industry has been missing it for a while because it's been quite focused on the glitz, the glam, the facts, um, and not the people necessarily in it. Yeah, the parties, the exotic locations, and the food. And I don't do any of those three. <laughs> and lashings of rosé. <laughs> Although, you know, for someone in the Midlands, Florida is pretty tropical. Pretty tropical? Paradise. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, I don't know when I first, I think it may have been Phil Collins that kind of switched me on to uh, Miami, but it was, it's been in my blood for 20, 20 odd years. So it's great to be here now. And it is in the heart of the American super yacht system, so to speak. It's um, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Palm Beach. There is so much going on it's almost like a, a toy town because everybody knows everybody and everybody is in the industry. <laughs> Unlike when you, you know, if, if you work in, you know, Amsterdam or uh, London or somewhere else, mm. I'm sure Monaco's sort of like this, but not really because there's not many services there. It, it, it's, it's such a unique mm. place because every bar, every shop, every, there's just so much and so many people doing the same thing. It's is it's there, a real community. I, yeah, I was going to say, is there is there an interrelated? I mean, I can only equivalent it to being in the south of France or equally in Parma. You know, the yachting community is quite interwoven. There's you totally know, you kind of bumped into the same believe. people at the same events, even though yeah, there's that. <laughs> which can be a good and a bad thing, depending on the person, uh, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think what's quite interesting is with. I've what of with between two yaddies, I've been able to infiltrate, so to speak, all these different groups. So from the yacht brokers to the shipyard managers to the day workers to the suppliers to the manufacturers to the, and so I get to go to and experience all the different elements of it. Triton here do a great job once a month of bringing people together, but. There are so many events. There are so many open houses. There are so mm. many mini boat shows. There's so many get-togethers. It's amazing. There are, you know, there are galas. There are awards dinners. There are uh, committee meetings. There's at least, I, I'm going to put my foot out and say, there's at least one to two things happening a day here in Florida related to the, the industry. 
and it, it's so active and it's so vibrant and if you're stuck in your little bubble you never see it but there are people out there really working on the behalf of the industry uh, to make it better for everyone and it doesn't matter if it's about cleaning the oceans or it's advocating for um, reform in a tax bill or if it's getting better uh, training for uh, apprenticeships there's so much going on and it's 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 awe inspiring in in many ways because you get to meet i'm getting to meet the people who are actually doing it and they don't have a platform to really sing sing about it you know <laughs> so somebody said the other day i am singing their praises so with um, somebody like um, i'll give kitty mcgowan a, a shout out at the u.s U.S. Super Yacht Association. Yeah, I was going to ask, was the delegation to Washington part of um, of the USSA? Yeah, so I yeah. went with Kitty and 14 uh, US, U.S. Super Yacht Associate members. Everybody did it, money off, you know, paid for it themselves and took two or three days out to go themselves. Mm -hmm. And it was really just a show of force that these people are going to Washington, D.C. And I said to Kitty before we went, I said, please, assure me this isn't just a good excuse for a piss-up. She was like, absolutely no way. And she was right. When we get there, you know, the meetings with the senators were all set up. Um, mainly we met with their aides. And it's amazing. Washington is ran by pimply 20-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. it, it's fascinating. But they are switched on. And for me, what makes America one of the greatest countries in the world is the fact that you can just walk into Congress. So, you know, it's like walking to 10 Downing Street without an appointment, without any ID and going up and speaking to, you know, one of your elected officials. You can't do that. Here in America, they are your employees and you get to do that. Can, can, you, do, was, can you do the same with the Senate? Yeah, oh. you can go into the um, the Senate building in the, in the house. And you don't need an appointment? You don't need an appointment. You can just go in, knock on the door. Wow. Apparently. It was absolutely uh, amazing seeing uh, it work. Apparently, it like, there's, there's, some of the senators have secret rooms where they go to hide. <laughs> no, oh, God, yeah. They, they were trying to... You kind of think you might want one, though, to yeah. get stuff done, you know, particularly if... Um, uh, you had a lot of people knocking on your door. I, I think it was Stephen Colbert, one of the Comedy Central programs that were doing a Where is Mitch McConnell thing? And they were going from room to room to try and find him. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we, we're coming to the top of the hourly. And uh, yeah, we should do this more often. It, it goes quickly, you see, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we should we should uh, we should do this as kind of regular thing, you know, monthly check up on Lee. And fun to check hear in from the US. Check yeah, in, yeah, stateside. Yeah, you know what's happening in Miami and, the and you could be the pulse of Fort Lauderdale for us. That or Miami, or just the whole of Florida, if you want. I'd have to do some notes. No, no, it's better spontaneous. <laughs> um, <laughs> notes are for losers. Uh, <laughs> 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 anyway lee it has been a pleasure um as you all know we have lee feeds us shows every week every friday at five o'clock and therein please check um, our schedule from between two yetis it is time for the top of the hour news uh stick with us lee i'll put on the news we'll come back to you in a second 
You're listening to Super Yacht Radio. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lee Savage of Between Two Yetis.